believe you're the savior of our soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Bram, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe you can transform every soul. We believe you're the Savior. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. Now tonight, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 20. We went verse by verse through chapters 20 and 21 on Tuesday, and we're really getting to that part of Samuel where David is being pursued by Saul, and it's going to be the dominant theme through the rest of the book of 1 Samuel. And it's this time where David, he's been anointed to be the future king of Israel, Saul has been rejected by the Lord to be the current king of Israel, but both factors are at work at the same time. And Saul is the father-in-law of David, because Micah's daughter married David. He gave his daughter to David. And it's a time period of about 10 years where David is just being refined by these adversities and trials and tribulations that are brought on to him by his father-in-law. And God has a bigger plan and purpose in that, not the least of which is David was led to write many of the psalms that we really enjoy that have comforted us in our darkest days and most difficult times. He wrote many of those psalms during this time. And so that's our background. And as we come to chapter 20, Saul is now clearly against David. And it's coming out in the open, and yet they're still functioning within family but David senses how close it is to how life-threatening it is. And remember, David and Jonathan, Saul's son, are the very best of friends, true friendship at the highest level at the same time. So now we come forward, and I want to draw your attention to verse 4, excuse me, verse 3, where as David feels he needs to flee the palace, and he's with his good friend Jonathan, Saul's son, he says that uh, your father certainly knows that I found favor in your eyes that were friends and uh, so he's out to kill me, and, he, and, and he's not going to let you know this, lest you be grieved by it. And then he says this statement. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. David, at an early time in his life, in his 20s, realized this great reality, the mortality of our life. It's very important. The sooner we realize this, the better. Some people have close death, near-death experiences when they're younger, maybe in child years or teenage years, they survived a car accident or maybe they had leukemia or something and they, their body fought through it and they were healed and things like that. There's different things for young people that might make them realize the reality of death. They might have lost a parent or a loved one under various circumstances at an early age. So again, David is in his early 20s. He's maybe still collegiate age at this point in time. And he comes to this grand conclusion that he realizes the brevity of life. Even today at the memorial, Eric Estes, speaking of his wife, just kept telling the audience, and there's a lot of people here, it's all so short. It all goes by so fast. And of course, Solomon, David's son in the Old Testament, said life is but a vapor. 
And then James in the New Testament said the exact same thing. Life is but a vapor. It gets an Old Testament, New Testament, double emphasis, a thousand years apart, that life, it's just so fast. It just goes so fast. And sooner or later, we have to come to terms that we're passing through, and we're going to have to face, we have to face our own mortality. Now, some people step into eternity without ever even realizing their mortality. Like, it just happens so fast, and I had no chance to even realize, like, my life is short, and now I'm, uh, it's over. But certainly as people get older, and you attend memorial services for different people that you love as you're growing up, you begin to understand this. I remember being a teenager in Carlsbad, there at Tamarack Beach where I grew up surfing. I remember one of the local surfers in the early 70s was older than me. He was 16, and he died in an auto accident when his car went in the lagoon there by, Carls, by the May Company Mall there in Carlsbad, the old mall right off of Highway 78 and 5. And I remember like it really was stunning to me like that he wasn't going to be in the lineup surfing the next week. That was the first thing I was just like, wow, like, I just can't believe that he's gone, that that really happened. And since that time in my life, and many of you have your own experiences, we watch you know, our grandparents step into eternity and, and other friends and family and, and all these different things that happen. And you get to my point in life and our point for many of us, you live 50, 60 years. So many people you grew up with, you love, and they passed away for various reasons, this, particularly when you get in the 50s because a lot of men have heart attacks in their 50s and just stuff like that. It's like, wow, like it happens. So it's really important that we do realize the brevity of life because Paul told us, the Apostle Paul, to redeem the time for the days are evil. So the sooner we realize how short life is, the better it is for us that we can really value the greatest asset of life, and that is time. Time is our greatest asset. And the older you get, it takes on greater value. It takes on much greater value because you realize we're all on the clock, but when you're getting older, you realize like you really are on the clock and you want to redeem the time. The key is to keep living and realize the value of your life and make it count, which is what Paul had in mind when he wrote that to the Ephesians. So here at an early age, David makes a statement. He realizes that someone wants to kill him. And he realizes, almost like a soldier in World War II, like a young soldier in his 20s or maybe any young soldiers in human history that... uh, Well, Robert E. Lee, the great general from the South, said this, that those young men most eager to go to war are those who've never been. And so, so many young people, they go off to war, and then they realize, like, wow, if I get out of here, it's going to be an amazing thing. David realized early on that his life was very brief, and and he needed to value it, make it count, and fulfill it. And so there's something there for all of us tonight as we consider this statement. Truly, as the Lord lives... As your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. So he includes his best friend and the Lord in the statement. Now, this verse kind of sets in motion the events of the coming chapters. In fact, when we study these texts on Tuesday night, it really just seems to be the undergirding verse of the experiences of David as he goes forward with Saul persecuting him and pursuing him. But in this balance, both for David in the text and even in our life, the reality that we could step into eternity any given day is, is there, and it's a reality we need to live with. Because with the Lord, it's always today. Give us this day our daily bread. Today is the day of salvation. Today, if you do not harden your heart, but you repent, it'll be good, be well with you, as it says in Hebrews, quoting the psalmist. So with God, it's always today, right? We can't, we can't change yesterday, and we're, we're not promised tomorrow. So with the Lord, it's etat uh, din, that's Russian for this day. It's this day, or esta dia in Spanish. It's this day. 
we need to be in the moment and we need to have a plan for the day. We need to have vision for the day. We need to know what the most important thing of the day is. What is the next thing of the day? We need to value it. We need to treasure it. We need to protect it and guard it. We can't let people steal our day. We need to recognize that it belongs to the Lord and we need to let the Lord lead our day. Because you can steal your day with distractions and human beings will steal your day with forced imposing themselves on you. And you have to learn early on in life as you're protecting your time to recognize what is the Lord and not the Lord so you can say yes to the Lord and no to things that are not the Lord. And you young people know this. The older you get, the wiser you get that no is a very important word in your language to use because you need to be able to say no to things that are not the Lord. That means you need to recognize what is the Lord. So the value of the day, but also realizing that we can't live in the panic of the day either because we know that people, people can get so fearful in the moment that they could step into eternity, they can't grasp, fulfill, or take the initiative on time. We watched with the whole thing the last couple of years where some people are so fearful, they just were not able to just live their life. And you can see the carnage of it still to this day. There are so many people that are just crippled by fear and they can't just go out and live life. I'm going to live life. If we live, we live. If we die, we die. I'm like Jonathan is armor bearer. Like, there's a life to be lived. And I'm not foolish, but I'm not going to live in fear. But I'm going to live with the sense that the Lord could come back today, because he said, watch and be ready. But I'm also going to live with the sense that write the vision, make it plain, so he who reads can run with it. So there's a, the, the significance and the, the power of today, but there's the vision and the direction for tomorrow. So some people are so set on tomorrow, they can't fulfill, fulfill today. It's always some dream. And the Bible says a matter accomplished is better than one spoken of. Because we can all talk about what we're going to do tomorrow, but action is the greatest energy in the human experience that, or as we say, walk the talk. You, you need to walk the talk. You need to put it in action. You need to make things happen. And people that take the initiative, they get things done. And they tend to do well in life. So it's this balance of, this could be my last day, but I may have many days, for the days were fashioned for us, as yet there was none, and they're more for me than the sands of the sea. And you knew them all before I was yet born, Psalm 139. So we have this day, and I'm in the middle of thousands of days that I've had, and so are many of you. But we don't know how many days are in front of us, but we need to have a vision for where we're going, what's in front of us, that each day will be redeemed till we're done. So we can't be crippled to fulfill today. We need to have a vision for tomorrow. It can't be the sky is falling every day like chicken little syndrome, but we need to know the Lord could return for me or for humanity and we need to be about the Father's business. That's why it's such a balance with Jesus. He said, be watching and be ready for his return. But then he said, who's that faithful servant whom his master finds when he returns? He's looking for people that are faithful and doing what he's called them to do with their life when he does return. So set balance. And we live this life, we live the balance of the urgency of today with the vision for tomorrow. And it's, 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 it's a delicate balance. And we live it well, we live life and we experience life. That's what David has to do. He's been anointed to be the king of the future, but there's nothing in his life that makes him feel like a king right now. He's sensing his own mortality and he makes a statement. So now as we kind of go through the rest of this book in the coming weeks and the adventures of David with Saul pursuing him, we're going to see so many powerful life lessons because it's the making of a man of God or we could say the making of a woman of God the value of the day, the vision of tomorrow, and knowing that God has spoken something over you like when Samuel anointed him to be king, and yet he's already dodged Saul's spear trying to kill him on more than one occasion. His life is confusing. Life is messy. 
Life isn't having it figured it out. It's just knowing who's on the throne and keeping your eyes on him and doing the best you can every day to go forward and staying in the moment while having a vision for tomorrow. But truly, as the Lord lives, there is but a step between me and death. As it was for him, so it is for us. And so in these next couple chapters that we read, in this chapter, the remaining part of it, and the next chapter, is a story where David makes a covenant with Jonathan, and then Saul attacks Jonathan for defending David. Then David has to flee once and for all. It's established he's firmly a fugitive. He's on the run. He goes to the the priest there in, in Nod, and then he ends up in the Philistine territory with Philistine kings. It's really a, it's kind of an agitating couple of chapters here. But in it, you realize the statement is so true that he's about one step from eternity. And yet he's living life with so much he can't control while trying to become the person he's meant to be in the midst of all these things, which sounds like life for all of us, doesn't it? I mean, there's so many things we can't control. But we can control what we choose to do with each day, who we choose to serve, and there's self-determination over who rules over our heart and our mind. And if it's the Lord, the chaos around you, he's going to give you peace in the storm. If it's not the Lord, you're just going to be yanked to and fro by everything, as it says in James, let not that person ask, because that double-minded person will be tossed to and fro like the waves of the sea. So David firmly had that heart for God in all of his chaos, one step from eternity, and yet going forward toward his destiny as maybe the greatest king that ever lived in the human experience. Now, in this journey of his life, there's just different seasons. In, in 2 Samuel, we'll get the, when he's older. <laughs> the life of David truly is amazing. And this is the young life, the young adult life of David. And in this, uh, there's things that jump out to me that, that stand out to me that are life lessons for us to reflect on tonight. It's sort of a Sort of like a little bit of a buffet. It's a little bit of a buffet of applications tonight. Almost like a verse by verse, but not quite. The first thing I draw your attention to is verse 15 with this background. Is when David was with Jonathan. And Jonathan's like, no, my dad doesn't want to kill you. My dad's just got issues. And, and, uh, but then David said, no, he's, he's going to want to kill me. And, and so they came up with a plan to determine whether Saul really wanted to kill him. But in the midst of that, Jonathan and David, it says this in verse 15. Jonathan said to David... But you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. Later on, we read in verse 23, and they're wrapping up their conversation. The matter of which you and I have spoken, indeed the Lord be between you and me forever. So they made a covenant, and they have a forever friendship and a forever covenant. The highest friendship level imaginable. And the Lord is in the center of it. Indeed, the Lord be between you and me. Then later on, in the very last verse of the chapter, verse 42, after Saul had tried to kill Jonathan, after David for sure has to flee, Jonathan says to David, go in peace since we both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, may the Lord be between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. So then he left. So look at this. They make a covenant between the two of them. They're the best of friends. They put the Lord in that covenant, and then they extend the covenant to future generations. This is true friendship. And as you get older, you'll understand these friendships. As I get older, personally, I don't only think, like, what can I do for people I love that I serve the Lord with? But I think, what can I do for their children? What can I do to bless them? Now, the greatest thing we can do is give 
faith and the things of the kingdom. But I really want to bless certain people that I know have done so much for the kingdom of God and forsaken so much. So when I think of like a good friend like Jim O'Connor in Virginia Beach who went to Vermont with me so many years ago and took that step of faith, leaving everything he knew, to go as the only deacon to be a part of the church, eating Bisquick for a week, and no one else knowing that's all they ate as they stayed in a motel, looking for work, a life of faith. And he worked at McDonald's. He delivered newspapers at four in the morning, Burlington Free Press. And all these things he did. And when we came back from Vermont, he stayed another seven years and pastored that church. And that church still exists. Now, he had children, Sarah and Lydia Thyretire. We call her because, you know, Lydia Thyretire in the Bible. And I've met his children. Now they're almost, well, they're all adults. And one's married. There's grandkids. And I have to tell you, I look at Jim O'Connor's kids on Instagram. I think, I, I want to do things for them. Do you, can you relate to this? Can you relate to this? Like, I really, like, I really... I want to do something for his children. I want to do something for him because he believed in me and believed in the vision and he forsook everything he knew to totally uproot his family and plant a church in Vermont with Crazy Joy Brand in 1995. And we did it. We, you know, fortune favors the brave. With the kingdom, we did it. And God did it. And we have like merit badges like Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts that show like, hey, church plant New England. That's a hard one to get, by the way. That's an eagle badge. It goes for Eagle Scout. You don't give those away. You got to earn those. You got to take huge steps of faith to do that. Get that one. Work minimum wage in your 30s for Jesus. That's another big merit badge right here. And he did it all. Work at McDonald's. Go from being uh, a warehouse manager with 20 employees to working at McDonald's, being told what to do by 18-year-olds. There's a huge merit badge right there for that one in the kingdom of God. And I want to do things for his children. I cannot talk with Jim O'Connor for two years, and we talk on the phone. We can laugh for three hours. Finally, I just have to stop the phone call. These are real friendships, worship generation, body of Christ. In the journey of being one step from eternity, we want to build up those relationships that are headed for eternity. We want to make covenants with people in our heart that we're going to be their friends, and we're going to be loyal to them from here to eternity, and we're going to stand by them in the best of times and the worst of times. We need to build up true friendships, eternal friendships. And we need to recognize and rejoice in friends of the past, like a Jim O'Connor, and we need to nurture friends of the present, like a Sam Coca, and we need to build up new friendships of the future that are around the corner. Your best friends may be the ones that minister to you in assisted living when you're 90. That might be the best friend you ever have, that person that shows up and just ministers Christ to you or just listens to your stories because they're smart enough to know that 90-year-olds have stories to tell and they're worth listening to. But friendship, the human experience is meant to be shared. Friendship in marriage, friendship with your kids as they grow up. I have great friendships with all my children and you should too. They don't always do what I want them to do. In fact, a lot of times they don't even close what I want them to do. That's not the point of it. I love my children. I'm always going to be their dad. And I'm their friend, but I'm their father first. But there's deep friendships. And it goes on to your grandchildren. At that memorial on Monday for Ethelin Sr., when the grandkids got up, and they all got up and shared about Grandma, and they were just cut to the heart. So you have those great friendships with your grandparents, but then they step into eternity about the time you're 25, no matter what. They share a quarter of the journey with you. Your parents may be half. But the grandparents, 
A lot of people, the first person you love that steps into eternity is a grandparent. And you go through high school, and then you like some of those friends you never have again anymore, but some are true friends. They're, so, they're really so few, but if you make yourself friendly, you will make yourself many friends. Like it says in the Proverbs, they have friends, one must be friendly. And if you choose to make friends, you'll, you'll have friends. And of all the equity and assets you can have on planet Earth is not great friendship, the highest and greatest of them all, to share the journey. Not with like yes men or yes women who just say what you want to hear, but real friends, true friends. Friends that have your back. Friends that tell you what you don't want to hear, but you need to hear it. Because the Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend and deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. True friends, real friends. Friends that are there in the high and the low. A lot of us feel like we want to do it without our, like a lot of us want to say, well, I can do this on my own, but you, you, you really, you can't. And it's sad if you think you can. We establish a friendship with the Lord vertically through Jesus Christ as our mediator and the best friend we'll ever have. And then we extend friendship to others. And we make ourselves friends for other people and then they become our friends. And when you come to church and you're part of church and you interact with other believers, you build these eternal friendships and you begin to make covenants. Jim O'Connor and I do not have a covenant. We don't need to. We're a living covenant. We don't need to say, you look out for my kids and I'll look out for yours. We would. I know Jim O'Connor would do anything for my kids as I would for his. Anything within my means and power. So as we realize we're one step from eternity, we realize how important it is to build up friendships in time that transcend eternity. Today when Scott Cunningham was here doing the memorial, I just love Scott Cunningham so much. And we walked out here to start this memorial today, to do Christy Estes Memorial. I thought, man, God gave me the worship generation name with Scott Cunningham at Fallbrook High School in April 2000. In that high school Christian club, Warriors for Christ. And here we are now. Some friends, you're around all the time like that, but others, they come and go, and then they come back, and then it's just the way it is. But listen... Because Jonathan is a true and loyal friend. David and Jonathan were like-minded. They were men of faith. They took steps of faith. Jonathan's dad, Daddy Ball, is insisting that his son's going to be the starting quarterback for the future of Israel. But Jonathan realizes, no, David's the starting quarterback. He's a better quarterback, using terminology we might relate to in our world. Saul's ultimate Daddy Ball. My son's going to be the king. My son's going to be the king. Jonathan's like, man, Dad, David's the guy. And Jonathan was comfortable with that. True friendship recognizes the calling of the Lord on someone else's life and respects it. They're not envious of it or jealous of it or insecure in it. They rejoice in it. That's true friendship. True friendship can rejoice in your friend's success in spite of your own failures or at the expense of your advancement that you rejoice that the Lord has advanced them. Because a man or a woman can receive nothing unless it comes from the Lord in the first place. So why wouldn't we rejoice over the exaltation of but from the Lord of friends that we have. And there's a friend that sticks closer to a brother, and we stand by each other in the different seasons. And in Jonathan's case, when they, when they made this covenant and they're saying goodbye, they never really were going to be able to hang out together again. They had that season where they're in the palace together, like just like busting up, just being like, dude, you're dad. I know, man. I don't know what to say. Like, you just, like those things that you do when you're young and you're, you're young men, and you love the Lord, and, and you can just laugh, and you can do like scissor rock paper and just be busting up in the man cave or whatever. It's precious memories for a lifetime, and then there's a day it's over. 
No more hanging out with Jonathan. It just can't happen. You pray for Jonathan, but you don't get to hang out with Jonathan anymore. Life is like that. So it's super important to seize the moment of the friendship, value the friendship, go deep in the friendship with the Lord, put the Lord in the friendship, and and value it so much that you want the blessings of your friendship for your friends upon them and even to their children's children. That's That's a life to live. Just to be reminded of that. You can't take that one step into eternity with too many friends by your side. Or maybe not by your side, but that you've sown with your life. So friendship bountifully because before David had 30 mighty men that changed the world he had a good friend and his name was Jonathan his best friend in the palace of the great King Saul so yeah you're one step from eternity but it doesn't mean we don't live the life and build the friendships you know when I pastor in Virginia something very interesting about Virginia and military families because I'm a military brat I understand this I grew up on bases we moved around on bases all along my dad was a career marine You have friends, and then you move. You don't have those friends anymore. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brandt. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed.